Chapter Nineteen of the Girls of Friendly Terrace by Harriet Lemis Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen. Amy is disillusioned. Elaine's sister's here. Why, I didn't even know she had a sister. Is she nice, Peggy? Has she come to live here? It'll be lovely for Elaine, won't it? That was the way Friendly Terrace received the announcement of the third member of the Marshall household. It was surprisingly easy, Peggy found, to evade answering questions as to the date of Grace's arrival and the reason she had not joined the family earlier. Peggy said with perfect truth that Grace was not very strong, and that even now it might be some time before she was able to see Elaine's friends. But by the end of a fortnight Grace was so far restored to the normal attitude of girlhood toward the world outside that she no longer shrank back from the window if a passer-by chanced to look up nor gave evidences of collapse when Peggy suggested that one of the girls might come in with her after school. As a matter of fact, Grace made a much more favorable impression on the girls of the terrace than Elaine had done. There was something in her look of fragile delicacy that was distinctly appealing. Ruth lost her heart to her at once, after the impulsive fashion of schoolgirls. Priscilla, who, ever since her misunderstanding with Peggy, had been on her good behavior took especial pains to be cordial to the newcomer. It occurred to Peggy one afternoon to wonder how it happened that Amy had not as yet accepted any of their invitations to call and meet Elaine's sister. "'I'm sure you'd like her, Amy, and you're just the one to do her good. Suppose we run in for a few minutes?' "'I guess not.' Amy's tone was hollow. "'I don't feel like meeting strangers.' Peggy cast a sidelong glance in her direction, and made a discovery which temporarily banished from her mind the topic under discussion. "'Amy, I believe you are growing thin.' She made the announcement jubilantly, expecting it to be received with enthusiasm, but Amy did not speak. "'Have you really left off eating candy?' continued Peggy, innocently interested. "'Seems to me I haven't noticed any boxes of chocolates in your desk lately.' I haven't been eating very much candy. Amy sighed so heavily that Peggy looked at her again. Amy had really lost flesh, but that was not all. About her hung an air of depression, as inconsistent with the normal Amy as hollow cheeks or a total loss of appetite. Amy, I believe something is the matter. What is it? You'd think it was silly. Amy's tone indicated a longing to confide her griefs, only restrained by a dread of being laughed at. "'Silly troubles are the very worst of all sometimes,' Peggy declared comfortingly. "'Go ahead, dear. Out with it.' For a moment Amy hesitated. Then her pent-up woes burst bounds. "'I'm not going to live through the year.' "'What?' Peggy could not believe that she had heard aright. "'What did you say? I didn't understand.' "'I'm not going to live through the year.' Amy repeated her startling statement with a deliberation and an emphasis which carried the conviction that at least she meant what she said. Peggy burst into excited expostulation. "'Amy, you're crazy. I never heard anything so absurd. You have lost a little flesh, to be sure, but no more than is becoming. I thought you would be delighted. What makes you think that anything ails you?' "'I didn't say that anything ailed me, did I?' If you don't expect to live, it stands to reason that you must be sick. Amy shook her head. I might be killed in an accident, or I might be taken sick suddenly, and not live more than two or three days. Peggy's suspicions were aroused. 
Amy Lassell, you've been doing something silly. You can laugh if you like. I dare say it seems funny to you. Amy spoke with an injured air, which Peggy failed to notice. So busy was she in following the clue which her quick wit had suggested. I know, she burst out. It's a fortune teller. Amy made no effort at evasion. On the whole, it seemed a relief to be found out. Yes, it was a fortune teller. But if she'd been a faker, she never would have told me that you know yourself. They tell you how rich you're going to be, and whether you're going to be married once or twice, and things of that sort. But the ones who are just tricksters don't ever tell people they are going to die right away. Peggy checked her impulse to laugh. The thing might seem a joke to her, but it was serious enough to Amy. Her loss of flesh, and even more, the haunted look in her eyes, was proof of that. "'Tell me about it,' she said soothingly, and Amy closed with her offer so hastily as to suggest that all she had wanted was a chance. "'She's a woman on West Spring Street, Madame Planchette. Lots of girls go there to get their fortunes told, just for the fun of the thing. One day Blanche Estabrook and I were going past, when she suggested that we should stop. Madame Planchette only charges a quarter. "'That's cheap considering what she gives you.' observed Peggy with an irony that glanced harmlessly from her friend's armor. "'Of course neither of us took it a bit seriously,' Amy explained. "'We were both laughing when we went in, and all the time Blanche was having her fortune told. I fairly stuffed my handkerchief into my mouth. I giggled so. Blanche's fortune didn't sound a bit true, you know. It was all about coming into a lot of money, and that she was going to have a serious sickness when she was about twenty but she'd recover and be a lot healthier after that, and I suppose mine would be just the same, but it wasn't. Go on, Peggy prompted impatiently, for poor Amy paused, as if she found it difficult to disclose to another the black page of the future so unexpectedly revealed to herself. Well, she looked at my hand a minute and then said, I can't tell your fortune, there is nothing to tell. I was so stupid that I didn't understand for a minute. I thought, she only meant that there wouldn't be much doing in my life, you know, and I asked her if I wasn't going to get married. I thought fortune-tellers married everybody off. And then she said in a dreadful voice, You have no future, and I began to understand. Poor Amy, to pay a quarter for that, Peggy cried, but Amy refused to smile. I asked her how long I was likely to live, and she said it wasn't possible to be exact. It might be six months, and it might be a little more. She was sure I shouldn't live out the year. Amy paused a moment before she added, and one month has gone already. "'Oh, you goose!' cried Peggy. "'You dear silly goose! Don't you see how perfectly absurd it all is?' She launched into arguments convincing to herself, but useless as far as Amy was concerned. More profound logicians than Peggy long ago discovered the hopelessness of mere reason when confronted with a well-grounded superstition." Peggy went home thoroughly uneasy, and reproaching herself that her absorption in Elaine's affairs had blinded her to Amy's troubles. The month of anxiety had told upon the girl. The dismal prophecy might fulfill itself. Peggy's attention wandered from her geometry that evening. More absorbing than the theorem assigned for her lesson was the question of helping Amy. When she suggested a walk the following afternoon, there was a brightness in her eye, which indicated that her hard thinking had not been unprofitable, in her own opinion at least. Amy was not inclined to be enthusiastic over the proposal. 
I don't know as I care much about walking where I'm likely to be seen. I thought it was going to rain this morning, and I put on this old tam I haven't had on my head this year. All the better, Peggy said jubilantly. Then, as Amy looked as if she would like to know what was meant by that speech, if it were not too much trouble to ask, Peggy added hastily, We'll take the side streets. It won't matter if your tam is old. Once under way, Peggy set herself to be entertaining. She talked so rapidly, changing the subject with such abruptness as to hold Amy's attention fixed on her conversational gymnastics. When she halted suddenly in front of a shabby-looking building on West Spring Street, Amy cast a startled glance about her and fixed her gaze on a fly-specked card in the window bearing the announcement, Madame Planchette, Palmist. Then she turned on Peggy's eyes, brimful of reproach. Peggy had expected this. "'We are going in,' she said quietly. "'No, Peggy, oh, not again. I can't stand it.' "'Yes, we are, my dear. And the only thing I ask of you is not to say a word more than you can help. Leave me to do the talking.' She pushed Amy up the steps ahead of her, and held tightly to her arm as she rang the bell, apparently apprehensive that her captive would take to flight if not forcibly detained. Amy's air of shrinking horror did much to justify this suspicion. When shuffling footsteps sounded in the hall, and a slatternly girl opened the door, Amy drew back with a precipitateness which came near sending the two of them to the bottom of the steps. "'Is Madame Planchette at home?' demanded Peggy, writing herself adroitly and clutching Amy more tightly than before. "'Walk in,' said the slattern, and led them down the hall to a stuffy little room hung with mysterious charts. Peggy looked about her with an air of interest. "'I am almost sure this is the place,' she cried. "'Charts on the wall and red curtains, just as Roxana said. "'Yes, I'm pretty sure we're right.' Amy opened her mouth and closed it without emitting a sound, in a fashion suggestive of a dying fish. She perceived from Peggy's expression that she was expected to listen to her friend's observations, instead of taking part in the conversation. "'I don't know why you should act so scared over the idea of having your fortune told, as lucky a girl as you are. For, of course, your Uncle Philander's money is all coming to you.' Again Amy's jaw dropped. She looked frankly stupid. "'Doesn't it seem lovely to think you're going to see Europe this summer?' continued Peggy enthusiastically. I think you were sensible, though, to travel all over this country first. Oh, dear! It would make me fairly envious if it were anybody but you. To think that I've hardly been out of the town I was born in, and here you go everywhere. Peggy's fancy sketches were beginning to be interesting, by virtue of their sheer audacity. Amy listened, a faint amusement showing through her air of perplexity. Won't it seem funny to settle down in Germany to study your music after your lovely summer? but I suppose you love that, too, almost as much as traveling. That's what comes of being a genius. This time Amy was forced to bite her lips to keep from laughing. Musical appreciation had been left out of Amy's composition. She could not recognize the most familiar air when she heard it hummed, and, as far as she could see, the only difference between a street band and a symphony orchestra was that one made more noise in proportion to the number of players but even her amusement over the role of musical genius so unexpectedly assigned her vanished when the red curtains parted and a tall woman came into the room the discovery of her callers appeared to surprise madame planchette my assistant neglected to inform me that any one wished to see me she explained in what peggy mentally denominated as a mincing voice 
you wish your fortunes told of course i give several grades of readings ranging in price from twenty-five cents to a dollar i think the twenty-five cent ones will be all we can afford for to-day said peggy with an artlessness which would have made amy smile if the horror of her last visit had not been overshadowing her and please tell my friend's fortune first i want to know if she's going to keep on being as lucky as she's been so far amy surrendered her hand to madame planchette's inspection and peggy noted with sympathy that the girl's face was colorless she also improved the opportunity to study the appearance of the unconscious fortune-teller the woman's heavy coarse face gave conclusive proof of bad temper the lines about her mouth the furrow ploughed between her brows something in the glance of her restless black eyes all indicated to peggy that she would not scruple to take a cruel revenge on the unlucky person who offended her a very good hand the voice was smooth i see a few illnesses in early childhood but after the twelfth year there is no sign of sickness you will live a good old age and enjoy excellent health amy's gasp was so pronounced that peggy thought best to distract madame planchette's attention by dropping her umbrella as the clatter subsided she picked it up again and begged pardon other good fortune is in store for you continued madame planchette i see a large amount of money coming to you soon it is to be left you by a near relative i should say a cousin or possibly an uncle she studied amy's palm with absorbed interest for a moment and started out on a new tack you have remarkable gifts in the line of music i see that through their cultivation a great future will be open to you there is fame in store you will study abroad and earn laurels as a singer wonderful peggy murmured abstractedly and she was rewarded by a sudden convulsive twitch of amy's shoulders after emphasizing the fact that amy had already seen much of the world and was to travel extensively in the near future the fortune-teller contented herself with a few prophecies which would apply with equal exactness to nine girls out of ten she paused with a complacent air for after following peggy's supposed clues she was very sure that she had hit the mark with unusual correctness peggy's fortune was the usual jumble to tell the truth she hardly listened and apparently madame planchette was of the opinion that after doing so well by one of the pair it was unnecessary to put herself out to make shrewd guesses regarding the other peggy was glad when the monotonous voice ceased and she could drop her half-dollar on the table it was well worth it she said with a significance lost on the smiling madame planchette if you young ladies should try the dollar readings observed the fortune-teller pocketing the coin you would find them much more satisfactory i describe your personal characters fully showing you the weaknesses against which you should guard and also the traits which should characterize your life-partner kindly mention me to your friends good afternoon once outside the two stood looking at each other well amy lassell peggy cried if you're not convinced now that that woman is a thorough-going outrageous old fraud i'll wash my hands of you amy had hardly recovered from her daze but why did she do it she persisted don't ask me though i think i could make a fair guess you said yourself that you laughed all the time she was telling blanche's fortune i suppose she thought you were making fun of her art of science or whatever she calls it and she wanted to get even amy straightened herself and drew a long breath like one who lays down an intolerable burden 
the face she turned on her friend was radiant peggy she cried joyously let's go down to birds i don't care if i do look like a fright and get a nut sunday End of chapter 19